Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Welcome this morning with Thank us. Do you want to just share a little bit about what's been happening in Portadown, some of the, the main things? Okay, good. I was going to say good morning. It's good afternoon, isn't it? Hello, everybody. Um, yes, we have had an incredible adventure and journey in the 16 weeks um, of Emmanuel Portadown. So it's been fab. Um, yeah, Guinness, where do you start? Uh, I'll tell you just a little bit about our main focuses over the last few while. So basically, um, because we came, we brought all our guys as the vineyard, <coughs> excuse me, and then obviously a number of your guys came, and then we had a number of people who were actually just looking for a church from neither group. So obviously we're, it's a, a kind of a new thing, a unique thing to get a number of people together and say, right, God has called us to be family, let's do this. And so obviously that has taken kind of um, strategic approaches in terms of building relationship and friendship and just that sense of what is this church, you know, who are we being called to be? So um, as well as kind of working through the relationship side of stuff, we've been looking through the practices, we've looked at prioritizing presence and mobilizing mission and growing as a family last week. So we're kind of shaping the church as God has designed it to be. But as I say, just getting to know one another and uh, just encouraging people, look, this is good and it's exciting. And the Lord has so much that he's going to be doing in Portadown and in this whole area. And it's just so incredible to be able to be a part of that. And you had a family day yesterday? We did, yes. Um, There were over 100 of us went to Ballyards and God was good and the sun was shining and there was no snow because we had to cancel our first one because it was snowing. Um, And so that was just beautiful. And I think um, the main thing that we're really sensing and we're so thankful to God for is that just there's such a holy and a beautiful sense of unity and family and community that's building already um, at such an early stage. So we're loving it. Brilliant. And Chris, obviously um, the church isn't just about growing as a family together, but obviously you're being very intentional about what's happening in Portadown. Do you want to share just what started last week, what you guys are doing to try and reach the local community? Yeah. Um, so we started Connect Cafe, sort of taking the model that's here and, and figuring out how that looks in Portadown. Being in the High Street Mall gives us a fantastic opportunity because we're right in the space that people are in. So we opened the the, the doors or opened the shutters, I should say. Um, just on Friday, and um, so many people come in. We definitely had well over 40 people come in and just engage people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, just experiencing love and acceptance. And, and I think one of the real key things for me about it was we also had a team walking the streets, praying, just bringing the, the, the environment of heaven. Uh, and so there just was this real breakthrough and openness for people to come in and feel welcomed and loved and um, to experience loving Christian community because at the end of the day, we're a family on mission. So that's been brilliant. Brilliant. Um, Matt, have you put the picture up? Obviously, it isn't just Chris and Debbie. Their whole family are involved in this. These are their kids. We want, we want moments like this for you guys. Obviously, we will over the next the coming years get to know each other much, much better. But we would just love for this to be a moment where we start to get to know them so we can be praying for them and their family. These are their children from left to right. We have Katie, Lucy, and Zach. Um, and we would love this morning just to pray for them. Debbie, 
what are some of the main things we're praying for you guys as a family? Uh, I think uh, just for the kids, as we said, the guys in the first service, they've only ever known Upper Band Vineyard. That has been their little world, church world in their life. And uh, so a big part of my heart was really praying that God would prepare them for this move and everything that it would mean for them. Uh, but I think if we could just continue to pray that they would get it, that they would just grasp what God is doing and find their part and, you know, make relationships and friendships and all of those sorts of things just as they kind of settle in. But they're doing so well and they're enjoying it, so that's good. They're not arguing about coming on a Sunday morning. That's a good start, so. Always helps, doesn't it? Great. By the way, can we stand this morning? I would love us just as, as these guys, uh, as Chris comes to share, I would love us just to pray for them. Um, pray as we're all a family together now, Lord, going to pour it down. But let's, let's just stretch out your hand towards them, can you? Father, thank you for what you're doing amongst us. Thank you that our, our family is growing. God, for what you've been doing here in Lurgan over the years, I thank you, Father, that we're seeing part of the family now in Portadown. And God, I thank you for the significant part of that that Chris and Debbie are. Thank you for what they add to it, what they bring to it, how they lead um, uh, with such integrity um, and such uh, so closely following you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for what they each individually carry. Thank you for the the ability, the leadership ability you've placed within Debbie. Thank you for the gift of teaching that you've placed within her as well. We just pray it increases, God, in these days. God, we pray a season of double portion over both of them and what you've blessed them with. I thank you for, for Chris. Thank you for the, the spirit of prophecy, God, that you've placed within him. Thank you for the, the prophetic gift, God, and thank you for the gift of leadership and teaching as well, God, and, but particularly how that just all washes and is flowing just in the gift of prophecy, God, I thank you for how he so strongly moves on it, and pray, God, that again you will increase it, God, I pray that he steps into it more and more in these days, but we pray fresh gifts upon them both. We pray fresh gifts for this now moment, God, upon them and their family. Thank you for the kids. Thank you for, for Katie, for Lucy, for Zach. God, pray your protection over their young lives. God, pray your blessing over them as well, for them as a family. God, we pray, God, that they know your peace, God, as a present reality, God, in every part of their lives. Guard all of their hearts and their minds. But thank you for what you're releasing, Holy Spirit. We're excited for what you're doing, God, in these days. And we've just said, would you let your kingdom come in and through them. Bless them this day. Thank you for the word that Chris has this morning. Would you just wash it, Holy Spirit, and I pray words of life. Come forward, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Chris. What do you? Take that with you. All right. It's great to be here, and it's great to actually be here on a Sunday because I'm here most weeks during the week doing different things. Um, staff meetings and stuff like that, and so it's lovely to actually be here on a Sunday morning. Um, so I just want to, I want to talk to you today about, I suppose, a passage of Scripture that we as a church in Portadown have really been journeying, and it's something that we've been talking about a bit um, in our kind of joint corporate prayer and stuff like that, and it's from Nehemiah. And uh, the story of Nehemiah comes at a time in really the history of God's people where the Israelites find themselves consistently before God, the, the sinning, and, um, and God brings judgment upon them. And they end up being overrun by their enemies. They end up being taken into captivity, being exiled and, um, into Babylon. And Jerusalem, the city of God, lies in ruins, and its people are dispersed um, throughout the surrounding countries. Some have returned um, 
from the Babylonian exile. There's a small number that are there. And Nehemiah is, is working for King Xerxes, and he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, and God starts to really change and, and break his heart for that. So um, we're going to just read from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words are going to be on the screen. Um, so these are the, the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Keslev, the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanai, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked him about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through the, your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my people to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strength and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cup bearer. And so Nehemiah hears about the state of Jerusalem, and it, and it breaks his heart. And he cries before God. And you know, many days he's kind of struggling. He's, he's crying out to God for the state of his city, for his nation. And he, he reminds God of his promises. Uh, and then he thinks, you know, maybe I can do something about this. Maybe God's actually speaking to me. Because Nehemiah has the ear of the king. He's the cupbearer to the king. And just a little thing uh, about Nehemiah, he has very little authority, but he has great influence. You know, and some of us sort of think, oh, who am I? What can I do? But we all have the ear of someone. We may not have great power and authority necessarily, but we all have the ability to influence. There's always someone that God has placed us near whose ear we have. And Nehemiah looks at his situation and realizes, my city is in ruins but I'm in the king's presence all the time. I'm cupbearer to him. And his heart is captivated by the brokenness of his city. And because his heart is captivated, it propels him to go and to do something. And there's lots of brokenness around us, isn't there? In our streets, in our families, in our communities, there's lots of brokenness that we see, but we don't always feel, if we're really honest, that we have much of a heart for it. 
that we have a much compassion or we have enough compassion. You know, sometimes I feel, even in kind of pastoral ministry, I'm like, God, give me your heart because I don't have enough compassion and I don't want people to get me. I want them to get you. But there's good news for us. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's fantastic, it's in Ezekiel. Um, And again, it's God speaking to his people and saying, look, I know you can't follow me, but here's the thing, I'm going to come and I'm going to change, and I'm going to transform you. And so it says in Ezekiel um, 36 from verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And so God provides the answer within himself that he will come, and he will change our heart. He'll take away our heart of stone. He'll give us a heart of flesh. He'll put his spirit within us to enable us to keep his decrees and follow his ways. You know, so often you meet people and they say, I'd love to become a Christian, but I'm not good enough, or I couldn't do it, or it's too hard. And the answer to that when people say is, you're right. You can't. You can't do it. So we can't come into faith through our own efforts, but we cannot continue in faith through our own efforts either. We have to realize that God actually places within us the ability to follow him. And so Nehemiah's heart is changed and transformed as ours should be when we hear about brokenness, when God touches our hearts and speaks to us. But the problem that Nehemiah has is he's got a cushy job. Now, apart from getting poisoned um, as cupbearer to the king, maybe having to just test everything first, he gets to eat at the king's table. He gets to live in the king's palace. He's not out fighting a war, fighting battles. He's indoors, he's in a good environment, but God has touched his heart. And very often God speaks to us from our place of comfort. And comfort is often the enemy of the kingdom because we're at war, we're not on holiday. You forget that, don't we? You see, when you find yourself in the place of comfort and you think, this is great, isn't it? This is really, really great. But there's conflict between the place of comfort and the place of faith because faith requires risk. And so God will very often stir us out of our place of comfort as he speaks to us. So Debbie and I, um, just I want to tell you a little bit of our story through looking at this story. But about 14 years ago, we were in Belfast. We had a lovely house in Belfast. We lived um, conveniently around near our family. We had our lovely little pot-bellied stove and our household decorated the way we wanted it. And we had um, our little baby that we'd been praying for for years and family and friends close by, two really great jobs. We had everything that we had wanted. We found ourselves in a place of comfort and yet God started to stir our hearts for him and for his kingdom. And we decided that, you know, we were being called to church plant, and we are, um, were privileged to be part of the Vineyard Church movement at that time, which is a church planting movement. And so we started to drive around, and we started to look for somewhere um, to plant a church. And that was a miracle in itself, because we are from Belfast, right? And there is no world outside of Belfast. And, and the Belfast mentality is this. It's the only city in Northern Ireland, so everything revolves around us. And in fact... Sprucefield is the end of civilization. <laughs> There's not even a road. If you get to Sprucefield, you then have to get out of your car and get into a tractor to go any further. 
And, and people in Belfast think that everybody else, so everything outside of Belfast is the country and everyone outside of Belfast is a culture. Right, and he, but here's the problem. I have found that the further you go outside of Belfast, everybody knows a culture, but you never meet one. So everybody knows someone that is one. And so, if, and so you go on, and do you know a culture? Yeah, well, I know a fellow of culture. And they get further and further away. It's just this one wee man, probably, that everybody, somebody knows somebody who knows a culture. <laughs> Why am I telling you this? Because our minds were centered around Belfast around everything that we knew, around our comfort zone. But God led us to come down. And so we drove around here, and we drove around Lurgan, and, and um, we thought, Emmanuel's here, that's great. Um, let's keep driving. Um, and so we drove through Craig Avon. Let's go, let's go to the town centre of Craig Avon and see. And we saw signs for the town centre. We drove, we went around roundabouts and more roundabouts. And, and, and then we end up in Portadown, like, where's the centre of Craig Avon? Um, and then we found out it was Rushmere. And, um, <laughs> but we just felt, you know, God's calling us to this area. God has shook us out of our comfort zone. He spoke to us and we responded. And, um, but we sat in Belfast and we kind of thought, this is a real risk we're taking. But one of the biggest things that really struck me was I thought, you know, in 10 years' time, I don't want to be sitting here still in this house in Belfast thinking, what if? What if we'd actually gone? What if we'd gone and planted that church? You know, and, and actually then we started to think, well, what's the worst what if that can happen? That it's a complete and utter failure and that's a, a disaster. But I'd still rather be sitting back in Belfast having gone and, and been a failure than have no experience and be thinking, what if? But that's partly because we measure success in funny ways. That failure in the world's eyes can often just be faithfulness in God's eyes. You see, if you want to protect yourself from failure, it's really, really easy. Just do nothing. Because then you'll be successful at doing nothing. That will be your success. But you can't live a life of faith by doing nothing. You have to take risks. You have to step out. And so Nehemiah, he heads off to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem. And he goes with an escort. Um, a security team. He goes with some wood because the gates have been burnt down. Uh, and he goes with a vision from God. He has no idea how he's going to actually build it. And, and he's a cup bearer. He's not an architect. He's not a builder. He doesn't have the skill set to be able to do what God has called him to. But he has the word of the Lord. And, um, and he goes. And it might end up in a disaster do you know that one of the problems with the Bible is that we always know how the stories are going to go because we've read them or heard them before. Um, but actually in that moment, Nehemiah was setting out to rebuild the city, not knowing what was going to happen, if he would even make it. When we went out from Belfast, I went and told my mum and dad, and they're part of a church that has planted churches. And so I thought they'd be really excited that their son and their daughter-in-law were going to plant a church but after we left, my mom started to cry. She didn't tell me this until a long time afterwards. Because she'd seen what it takes to plant a church, and she'd seen the heartache and the pain that people, and had, the price that they'd had to pay, the failure, the stress, the strain. And it was all right for somebody else's son to go and plant a church, but not for her son to go and plant a church. 
And, it, and for me, there's a real challenge in that. You know, as a parent now, I'm looking at my, my children, I'm thinking about the Great Commission, go into all the world and, you know, bring the gospel and, you know, bringing up our kids in that. But for me then, you know, there's this danger of kind of thinking, yeah, I want my children to do everything that God has for them. But if they could do it like nearby where I can drive or just somewhere safe or a country that has clean water or whatever it happens to be. And I just want to encourage us parents to pray that our children will do the thing that God has for them, that he has put on their heart, that they'd be like Nehemiah and say, I'm being called to go and do this. Here's what it is. Here's what it looks like. And that we would have the confidence to let them go and do the thing that God has called them to. So here we are 12 years later and we're still putting ourselves in a place of risk. Um, and I love what God is doing in this church movement that we're now part of through uh, Emmanuel, Lurgan and Portadown, through the Tobar Network. And it's great that we celebrate what God is doing and we celebrate it well. You see, we celebrate what's happening in Shalom with Francis and, and Shelley. And we celebrate what's happening in Cara and, and when, where people are thinking about doing stuff in Mournview and different places. We celebrate what God is doing in Rich Hill through our partner church in Grace. We give thanks because people have been willing to step out and take a risk. And you cannot be in the safety of the harbor and know what it's like to ride the waves of God's spirit in the open sea. If you want to experience being led by God, you have to be willing to step out of your comfort, out of your comfort zone. And, and so we see in the life of Nehemiah a process that happens as God begins to work in his life. He, he, first of all, he's a distant bystander. He's looking at what's going on in Jerusalem. It's probably a couple of hundred miles away, by the way. And he's hearing what's going on, but God touches his heart. And so he becomes involved. He becomes an intercessor. And he cries out to God, Lord, Jerusalem is a mess. Somebody needs to do something about that. And you know when you, when you start praying like that to God, he quite often tells you who the somebody is. See, if he's put it on your heart in the first place, then he's probably called you to do something about it. You might not be the only one. You might need to link up with other people and form a team, but he's probably put something on your heart for a reason. And so we become, when God stirs our hearts, involved intercessors. And from that place, we become active. We start to initiate. We think, what can I do? How can I do it? And sometimes that's about training and equipping, and this is a fantastic church for training and equipping people, but we get active, and we get active and we start to do something because at the end of the day, God wants to lead us to a place where we become a triumphant finisher, where we actually see things happen, where we see things move, where somebody says, I have a vision for something in North Lurgan, and it becomes Shalom, or I have a vision to see God's kingdom come in Craigavon, and it becomes Cara. And, and, and whatever it is, it's not just about church planting, it's about what God is calling you to. So Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls, and he gets the people around, and he says, look, this is a vision I have from God. I've got some permission to kind of do this stuff. And so he talks to the people who are in Jerusalem, and they start to rebuild the walls. And the fascinating thing about that is that every single person who builds the walls, all the families are named in Nehemiah chapter 3. I don't have time to go into that today, but they're, they're all listed there. And they all build the bit of the wall that's outside their house. They build their bit. 
And the thing about that is if everybody builds their bit of the wall, the whole wall gets built, doesn't it? But all they're doing is building their bit, the bit that they can see in front of them. And so God stirs our hearts for the vision of the thing that's in front of us, that he has placed in, in front of us. So the question to you is, what is that thing? What is that thing that God has placed in front of you that he's speaking to you about? That thing that you need to move from your place of comfort and step out and take a risk. And isn't it great that God has placed us in the context of Christian family and community that we're never building alone? So this family's building this part of the wall and this family's building this part of the wall and so on and so forth. And we're all building together because there's a vision to see a city transformed. But before Nehemiah came along, nobody was building the wall, but people were living there. So what were they living in? They were living in rubble. They were living in rubbish. And when you live in rubble, and when you live in rubbish, what do you think about yourself? You take on that narrative. That becomes your story, the story of what you live in. The, the prevailing story or the prevailing narrative of what is around you becomes what is in your head. And if you don't write a different story, you will just follow the one that's already there. And when Debbie and I moved down to this area, we heard the stories that were already there within this wider area. So we all know that Craigavon is a failed city. But if you live in Craigavon, then what does that make you? A failure. It makes you a failure. And whether you, you believe that or not, that, that, that voice, those words start to affect you and how you think about yourself. And you know what? If I love that. If Craigavon is a failed city, then that's exactly the sort of place where God would want to come and bring restoration and renewal and revival because God loves something that the world has declared a failure because he can actually bring life to it. And it just takes us to see things a little bit differently. And so a classic one, I spent most of my ministry the last 10 years in Portadown. Portadown is a hard place. Okay, hard place, hard people, hard hearts. And I can't actually number the amount of times people have told me that. And in my head, I never say it out loud, but I have this wee thing I say when people tell me that Portadown's a hard place, I just go, whatever. I'm not interested in what you have to say about Portadown being a hard place. I don't accept that. I'm not going to live under it, not for you, not for me, not for anybody. And in fact, God pointed this out to me recently in Psalm 114, verses 7 and 8. It says, tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard, the hard rock into springs of water. So in an instant, God can turn a rock into a spring. So if Portadown is a hard place, then God isn't interested in that. But what he is interested in is bringing a spring of life from that place. And, and so we have to realize that, that we are called to write the story, you know, the vision of this church is to rewrite the story of the city of Craigavon, of Ireland and the nations, isn't it? And so we have to ask ourselves, what is my part in the story? Where's my line? You know, and such and such did this or that. And Nehemiah, he had a picture of the walls being rebuilt. And from that picture, from that calling, from, from that big picture, he gets a vision and a strategy. He allocates resources. He gets a team around him. 
And God gives us his heavenly plans. We are given the strategies of heaven in order to, re- to write the story that God is calling us to write. And who in this church is going to step out of their comfort and their safety to walk alongside other people, to join in with what God is doing and to think, here's my bit in the story. Here's my bit in the war. So maybe we'll actually go and think, do you know, I bet you Francis and Shelley could do with a wee bit of help. Let's go down to North Lurgan and help them write the, rewrite the story of what they're doing, particularly if God's put that on your heart. Or maybe you would think, you know, maybe it'd be great if there was a new missional community in Warrenstown, and I'm sure there's some people who live in Warrenstown here, and God gives you a burden for Warrenstown, so you go and think, well, what does it look like in Warrenstown to do that, and can we get a group of people around us to make that happen? Or maybe it's Bambridge. It's not that far away. We could go and do something there. Wouldn't it be great if there was a new expression of faith coming alongside the existing churches in Bambridge to bring God's kingdom. Wouldn't it be fantastic if people looked and thought, what about um, Dundalk or Drogheda? What about all those towns that are just over the border or maybe a little bit further? Or Monaghan? Could we go and do something there? Is there a wall that needs built there? Does God's kingdom need to come there? And so maybe God starts to place stuff on our hearts. And through prayer, we are start to change and trans- we're transformed and we think. And so it's the big things, but it's also the small things because we look at our workplace and we think, God has put me here. What does it look like for me to step out and to take a risk in my workplace or in my home or in my street or in my family? What is your Jerusalem what is the vision that God has given you? What is your part of the wall? It's such an important question for us to ask ourselves. And will we count the cost? You see, the cost of having your heart burdened with the vision is that you have to then go and do something about it. And maybe right now, God is stirring you. Maybe God's reminding you of visions and pictures and dreams that he had placed on your heart a long time ago, and those things didn't happen. Or maybe you're just being stirred with that sense of, I've got to do something. I remember being in that place when it came to people talking about church planting. I didn't know where I was going to church plant. Um, and only about 25% of people who do go and plant a church actually know at the very start where it is that they want to go. And so maybe you're just being burdened. You want to see God's kingdom come. What does that look like for you? And, and are you willing to get stuck in When we look at how the walls of Jerusalem were built, we realize that just ordinary, everyday people. There were um, perfume merchants, goldsmiths, priests. I'm sure there were a few builders in there, but most of the people didn't really have the skills, but they got stuck in. You might be skilled for beauty, but the dirty work still needs done, doesn't it? The work still needs done. And isn't it fantastic that when God changes our hearts, even if we don't feel particularly graced for something, we'll do it anyway. And so we serve and we do tea and coffee. We open up early. We put out the chairs. We do whatever needs done because it's all for God and all for his glory. I remember the very first ever Sunday morning we, we did in church about 12 years ago. And, and, and we were meeting in a sports hall at the time and we just had our little Renault Scenic car jam-packed full of stuff. Everything was in there. And we were, I was driving to just go and set up church and make it happen. And um, on the way there, a quarter of a mile from there, 
that my back tire blew out, and I thought, I can't even get into the boot to get the spare tire. I'm just going to drive on. And so I drove on, got there, and I was just, it made me think of, you know that um, passage in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the flaming arrows of the evil one? When one hit my back tire, the enemy doesn't like what we're doing. They do anything to stop us. But I got there, and we set up the sound equipment, um, the, the stuff for kids' ministry, the stuff for tea and coffee. It was all set up. And I'm the one that's leading this thing, but I'm doing all the work. And then I'm getting up after all that, completely exhausted and trying to preach a sermon that actually makes any sense to anybody. But over time, then people come alongside you and they serve and they want to get involved and they find their role and their place and you're able to find yours and your place. And we start to work alongside each other. But um, Paul says something brilliant in Philippians 2. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me. And here's the thing about a drink offering on the sacrifice. If you have a sacrifice and there's a big flaming sacrifice and you pour water on it, it's just going to evaporate in a few seconds. And Paul is saying, even if I'm just like that, like this evaporating sacrifice is bringing glory to God, if that's all I am, but God is glorified, then that's what I'm going to do. And it takes a vision of who God is, of his greatness and his wonder for us to go, whatever it is, God, that you want to do, I'm going to do it. But you need to step out. You need to step out and you need to do the thing that God is calling you to. And here's a problem. When we step out, when we step into the, the thing that God has for us, criticism comes. And have you ever seen that thing in Northern Ireland where we have like this really strong urge to make sure that nobody else around us ever gets a big head? You know? It's one of the things we're graced for, isn't it? Just bringing people down to size. I let him know. Getting too big for his boots. Just getting too big for her boots. What is that? That's a messed up story and a messed up narrative that we live under. What if we actually said, I would love to see that person get too big for their boots. I would love to see them get bigger boots. I would love to see them grow up fully into who God's called them to be. And I'm going to encourage them and speak it over them. I love the prophetic, right? And that's one of the things that the prophetic does. The prophetic sees who someone, not who someone is, but who they are becoming. And it calls that out of them. And I remember hearing a story about somebody who used to write down other people's prophetic words, right? So they're not to do with them, but they were other people's prophetic words down because they wanted to start treating that person the way God saw them. So they would read that other person's prophetic word and think, wow, God sees them like that. I'm going to start treating them like that. But the opposite very often happens in our passage in Nehemiah. Um, there, there's, there's two people who start to criticize when God's people start building the walls and they start to threaten and they have their kind of little sort of ancient sort of slagging terminology so that they're kind of like, who do these Jew feeble Jews think they are? And, you know, even like if a little fox jumped on your wall, it would just fall over. It's so rubbish. You're pathetic. Uh, they, they try to break these people down and say, you can't do that. You can't do that. And isn't it sad that so often that stops us from stepping in fully to what God has for us is the negative words of other people or these kind of people, okay? We all know somebody like this who's going to sit up on their little balcony and look down and go, look at the state of that. What are you doing? That's rubbish. Sure, you couldn't do that. You're pathetic. 
Statler and Waldorf, Sambala and Tobiah in that story. But God's people don't listen to those kind of voices. We need to stop listening to those kind of voices and we need to stop being those kind of voices too, don't we? We need to lift other people up. We need to speak well of them. The more confident we are in who God made us to be, the more we will speak into other people's lives who they're called to be. And I've been so blessed, actually, particularly over the last year or two, to have people around me who see who I am, but they also see who I am becoming. And they call that out of me. And you know, in particular, leaders in this church have done that for me over the last couple of years. And that's been absolutely fantastic. You see, we should never let the words of man distract us from the word of God. But they do. It does. We get distracted. Nehemiah did not get distracted. He got the people around and they built the wall. It actually says that it took them 52 days to build the wall because they built day and night. At times when they felt threatened by their enemies, they had a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. Nehemiah went around and any time there was trouble on the walls, he had a trumpet and he blasted the trumpet and that meant that everybody was to run to that point to strengthen the walls and to protect the people. You see, we're put in in family and community to build this thing, to build God's kingdom, to see a city transformed, to see a nation transformed. We're called to do that together. And the challenge is, will we step up? Will we step out and do our part? Time is short. We've removed ourselves so far from the fact that we are finite people in this current form. We don't know how long we have. And so we should live every day. Keith Green, old Christian singer, said we should live each day as if it's our last. And he meant that in a good way. Um, Not that we should go out going mad and have a big party. But um, we should think about it. You know, what's the next 10 years hold for my life? What's the next five years? What is God calling me to do? What's the next thing that he's leading me into? You know, some of us, who have pioneered before and started new things before, have to start again, have to pioneer again. In May 2016, I had a horrible feeling because I thought, my church is going to be 10 years old in September. I don't know what I'm going to celebrate. After 10 years, we've only got 100 people. What, What is there to celebrate? And God really rebuked me about that, but I genuinely felt like that. And I realized I've been sold a lie. I've been told it's all about numbers. How many bums on seats? How big is your church? That's how I'm measuring success. Success in the Bible is measured in a very different way. In Matthew 25, you know the story of the sheep and the goats, and the people are standing before God. And God says, well done, good and faithful servants. We're called to be faithful to what God has, has called us to be. How we measure it is to do with faithfulness, not necessarily numbers. So in May 2016, I was really struggling with that. And then I realized, wow, you know, there's so much to celebrate. So many people's lives transformed. People come to faith, baptized, children dedicated, projects started, so much to celebrate. And so we had a fantastic celebration in September 2016 of the 10th anniversary of Upper Band Vineyard Church. But at the same time, we said, 
for the next 10 years, God has so much more for us. And on that day, actually, we, we put out some architect's plans of the building that we felt God was calling us to move into. And we said, this is where we feel God's calling us to, to be right in the center of everything. Um, and, you know, this is our vision going forward. And after a few months, that didn't work out. That plan, the, the building didn't work out. But now, two years later, nearly, we're in that building. Because in God's time, he'd worked it out. And God had a better plan, actually, that he would put us in, in a bigger family to make that kind of stuff happen. Uh, but for us, for Debbie and I, it was after 10 years of leading a church. We don't want the next 10 years to be the same as the last 10 years. We don't, don't want to just continue year after year just doing the same thing. We've got to do a new thing. God is always doing a new thing. And he wants to do a new thing in your life, too. So we celebrate what has gone before, but we also seek to pioneer again. We seek to reach out again. We seek to see the kingdom come again. And it's great to be part of this church, isn't it? Where you're trained and equipped, where, where God is growing people. And, and everyone, we're asking ourselves the question, what is the next thing for me? What am I called to step out into? What am I, where am I going to pioneer again? And who has God called me uh, to do that with? And just as one last inspiration, uh, I'd love us to think about these words from Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Do you know, it actually says throw off everything that hinders, and everything that hinders is not necessarily sin. But what's holding us back? What's holding you back from bringing God's kingdom in your street? or in your workplace? What's holding you back from building the piece of the wall that's designed for you to build? You know, maybe that is to actually sell up your home and move to another town or another city or another country to do something. Or maybe it's for you to actually think, here's my mission field, it's my street. Here's my mission field, it's my school. Whatever it is, are we willing to step out from that place of comfort into that place of risk? Because a common prayer for us should be, oh God, if you don't turn up right now, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, we need to be praying that prayer at least once a week, preferably more than once a week. God, seriously, if you don't, if you don't turn up right now, because that's exactly where God wants us, because he gets to come and meet that need. And if he does that, then the people that we're encountering get not just us, but they got, get an encounter with the living God. And so it goes on, it says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's a race marked out for you. Your race, not my race, not somebody else's race. Your race, that you're called to run with perseverance. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's inspiration for us, isn't it? No matter what we're going to go through, he endured more scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that's our battle cry. You see, this is about us. These verses are about us. In declaring this, we're declaring that about each other, that we're going to do this. We're going to run this race with perseverance. So what I'd like us to do, just as, as we're going to finish, is to stand I'm going to read this out together. We're going to declare this over each other together. And I would love as well, just before we do that, 
afterwards, if God is stirring you up and he's given you a vision or he's giving you a dream, or maybe he's stirring up an old vision or an old dream, to come up and get, get some prayer afterwards. I'd love to pray with you if God's been speaking to you about that. But let's stand up and let's declare this and speak this out together. So we'll just uh, read it together. I'll, I'll start us off, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.